This video is brought to you by Blessed Be God Boutique, maker of Catholic fashionable apparel, handmade accessories, and more. On Thursday of last week, I reported on the story of Bishop Paprocki standing up for Catholic Orthodoxy. He had published an article in First Things, where he called Cardinal McElroy a heretic, without naming him explicitly. He quoted verbatim McElroy in a recent article numerous times, but never named him specifically. The firestorm that followed was sadly predictable, as was the development that came on Friday. Bishop Paprocki walked back his attacks on McElroy a little bit. This walking back came in an interview with The Pillar. Here's the relevant quote. I didn't intend this to be taken as an accusation against anyone in particular. I didn't mention names because I didn't want this to focus on a personal debate or feud between bishops. I wanted to focus on the issues that were being brought up here, Paprocki said. That's why I started out with imagine if or what if in that sense. It's not exactly hypothetical because there are references to some recent statements. But I think I intended the discussion to be more rhetorical, he added. End quote. Look, everyone knew who he was talking about. I expect that he got an unpleasant call from someone higher up on the Episcopal ladder telling him to back off, maybe from Rome or from the USCCB or the nuncio's office or something. Either way, walking stories back like this is par for the course at this point. His claim that this is a matter of private conversation between bishops is laughable, given that his accusation against McElroy were made in First Things magazine of all places, a highly read, very public place. It's not like he did this in a private email that got leaked somehow. McElroy responded to the initial article on Thursday, which is a remarkable turnaround, almost as if he was expecting to get pushback and had the bulk of his response ready. Or maybe he's just a quick writer. That could be the case. That response was published at American Magazine. And I'll be repeating something of what I'm about to quote here later to demonstrate how McElroy has in fact rejected the magisterium of the church, and in so doing has attempted to destroy the integrity of the church and its authority through the embrace of sin and error. But here's the relevant responses from Cardinal McElroy. Quote, The second is the role of conscience in Catholic thought. For every member of the church, it is conscience to which we have the ultimate responsibility and by which we will be judged. For that reason, while Catholic teaching has an essential role in moral decision-making, it's conscience that has the privileged place. As Francis has stated, the church's role is to form consciences, not replace them. Categorical exclusions of the divorced and remarried, or the James Martin crowd, from the Eucharist do not give due respect to the inner conversations of conscience that people have with their God in discerning moral choices in complex circumstances. Finally, I propose that the Eucharist is given to us as a profound grace in our conversion to discipleship. As Francis reminds us, the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. To bar disciples from that grace blocks one of the principal pathways Christ has given to them to reform their lives and accept the gospel ever more fully. For all these reasons, I propose that divorced and remarried, or the James Martin crowd, who are ardently seeking the grace of God in their lives should not be categorically barred from the Eucharist. End quote. This is a break from Catholic teaching, from timeless Catholic teaching going back to antiquity. McElroy is using Amoris Laetitia to open the Eucharist 
to what would have been correctly called sacrilegious communion for the entire history of the church. The crux of his argument is that the majority of Catholics today are appalled by the church's teaching on the sin that James Martin has an unhealthy interest in, as well as the teaching on the indissolubility of marriage and the consequences for those who break the church's teaching on those things in terms of access to the sacraments and the rest. And as we will show you, a lot of his argument is based on those sins being just too hard to give up and people being being too hard to live the life the church has traditionally called them to. I've said this before and I'll say it again. A few years ago, bishops were saying that the problems in the church were the laity rejecting the moral teachings of the faith and that those are the consequence of this being the worst catechized generation in history, worse than the previous generation which held that title before. The badly formed consciences of the typical Catholic is the ultimate metric for what is right and wrong now. That is one of McElroy's claims. That is Francis's claim, and it is wrong. So wrong, in fact, that it leads souls to perdition. It's what this entire synodal mess is resting on. Without fail, you'll see those defending McElroy's position go to the same tired attack. Those who oppose his program or Pastor Jimmy Martin's work are just obsessed with below-the-belt issues, as they call them. That's honestly what they say. They always go to that tired, old attack. They say the gospel is so much more than just issues of purity and living a pure life. After all, they often say Christ ate with sinners. He preferred the company of sinners. Yes, that's all true. But here's the thing. Those of us concerned with orthodoxy in faith are all too aware that in our time, the chief sin after, of course, the pride of turning away from God and thinking man can go it alone, the sin of denying God. After that, the chief sin in these days is impurity. Sins of the flesh are celebrated. Human identities are crafted around our fleshly desires, and they are validated by worlds gone off the deep end to such a point that even the youngest become the focus of these claims and desires. I don't need to go over the specifics because you already know them. If you were living in a reasonably pure world, then all of us would be concerned with the rampant usury going on or with the denial of working man's wages or whatever. But by comparison, the sins of the flesh are the prime sins of our time. And it's certainly not eco-sins, okay? And according to sacred scripture, that sin that is at the heart of this debate cries out to heaven for vengeance. What will become a society that doesn't repent of these sins, that celebrates these sins, and elevates the choice to live by them as a right? We already know. The Old Testament makes that clear. Though the modernists have twisted those accounts into being stories about a lack of charity on the part of the inhabitants. At the heart of their claim is a denial of the inerrancy of sacred scripture. It is a matter of faith that the Bible contains no errors. If you believe that the Bible has errors in it, then you've left the faith. I don't usually quote Vatican II documents here in a positive way, but the conciliar document Dave Verbum repeats the timeless teaching of the church here in paragraph 11. So to take to it, Vatican II document, mark this on the calendar, we go, quote, Since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, without error, teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred Scriptures, end quote. Pretty cut and dry. That's a teaching of the church that goes back to the beginning of the church, and if you reject it, you are not a Christian. It's as simple as that. Which brings me back to the McElroy quotes. Colonel McElroy is denying the inerrancy of Scripture when he says the following, quote, The moral tradition that all, sins of the flesh, 
Our grave matters springs from an abstract, deductivist, and truncated notion of the Christian moral life that yields a definition of sin jarringly inconsistent with the larger universe of Catholic moral teaching. End quote. In other words, what the Bible says in the clearest language that has been affirmed by the fathers of the church and by the magisterium of the church since the start of the faith is wrong because Catholic moral teaching says otherwise. But what does he mean by Catholic moral teaching? Let's turn to a commonly made refrain by the modernists. The magisterium of Francis says it's okay. Now we get the distortion of papal infallibility. McElroy says the following, quote, While Catholic teaching has an essential role in moral decision-making, it is conscience that has the privileged place. As Francis has stated, the church's role is to form consciences, not replace them. The pastoral theology of Francis rejects a notion of law that can be blind to the uniqueness of concrete human situations, human suffering, and human limitation. End quote. That's moral relativism, folks, condemned by the church. And I love when they say this because they're doing our work for, for us. If Francis's teachings go against the deposit of the faith, then his teachings on that are wrong, not the deposit of the faith. If Francis embraces moral relativism, then he's wrong. To borrow a phrase from Francis on the liturgy, the Pope and the bishops are supposed to be the guardians of tradition and the guardians of the faith. You know, they're supposed to safeguard the faith and make the faith clearer, not change the faith or its doctrines. The idea that personal conscience is primacy of place is funny because they always leave out the qualifier the church has said about this, that it is a well-formed conscience that is primacy of place. And you can tell if you have a well-formed conscience or not if you affirm and submit to the timeless moral teachings of the faith. The church is guided by the Holy Ghost, not you or I in our interpretations of morality. The well-formed conscience will submit to the teachings of the church. And that's the problem here, as they're trying to change the teachings of the church. McElroy, in that quote I cited, said the church's teachings are wrong and the product of bad moral reasoning. He's rejecting the magisterium of the church. That's not only heresy, it's schismatic. He'd be perfectly at home with the German bishops. Pope Pius XII, who is, in my estimation, the last of the really good popes, had the response to this logic 70 years ago in a radio address that I've recorded the text of in full, I think, last year or the year before. Here's the response of the magisterium to McElroy's claim. Quote, The new morality affirms that the church, instead of fostering the law of human liberty and love, and of demanding of you that dynamics which is worthy of the moral life instead bases itself almost exclusively and with ex excessive rigidity on the firmness and the intransigence of Christian moral laws, frequently resorting to the terms, you are obliged, it is not licit, which has too much of an air of a degrading pedantry. Taking, therefore, the words of Christ and the Apostle as the strict rule, should not one say that the church of today is rather inclined more to indulgence than to severity. It so happens that the accusations of oppressive rigidity made against the church by the new morality, and really, in reality, attacks, in the first place, the adorable person of Christ himself. End quote. They attack Christ himself. That's what McElroy is doing when he and his cohorts say that the church's teaching on this is too rigid, that it places an undue burden on the sinner. Christ calls us to repentance. We are to give up our sinful inclinations before we can partake of the most blessed sacrament of the altar. When we fail, that is what the confessional is for, to open the door 
for the Eucharist back up to us. And if you say that the demand that we give of the sins of the flesh is too much of a burden, as numerous of these modernists have said, well, Pius XII has the response to that as well. Out from another speech he gave to a, to a group of housewives, quote, It will be objected, however, that such abstinence is impossible, that heroism such as this is not feasible. The present time you can hear and read of this objection everywhere, even from those who, because of their duty and authority, should be of quite a different mind. We have the doctrine of the Council of Trent, which in the chapter on the necessary and possible observance of the commandments, referring to a passage in the works of Augustine, teaches, God does not command what is impossible, but when he commands, he commands. He warns you to do what you can and to ask his aid for what is beyond your powers, and he gives his help to make that possible for you. End quote. When someone says that we should accept the sins of the world and wants the church to make acceptable, they are denying the grace of Christ and the grace of the Holy Ghost. That's what it sounds like to me. It's quite the opposite of what the modernists say. You know, they accuse us, traditionalists and traditional-leaning Catholics, of rejecting the Holy Ghost when we point out that Vatican II was a disaster for the Church, or that the synod on synodality is an ongoing disaster. But that's what they're doing themselves when they say that it's too hard to give up the sins of the flesh, and that the Church must accept the sins of the flesh and change the moral teachings of them so that people can receive the Eucharist even when they are not in a state of grace. Christ's grace prevails if we let it. The Church is supposed to help us as mother and teacher to open ourselves to the grace of Christ through the sacraments and through the firm teaching to overcome these sins. It can be done. There are those living with heroic virtue who have overcome these sins today. They are among us. McElroy, James Martin, and the rest all spit on their example when they say it's too hard. Don't accept their heresies. And please don't backpedal like Bishop Paparaki did in his statement, even if it wasn't that big of a backpedal. What do you think of this story? Are you surprised by this debate? Do you agree that the modernists try to destroy the magisterium of the church and its integrity when they say the church's moral teachings are built on bad logic? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.